We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We told y'all yesterday that we were going to talk about the portal, but we're calling an audible today because there's some other topics that we want to discuss today. And then we'll have the portal conversation uh, tomorrow, unless there's some other breaking news that we have to discuss, or maybe we might have to do a separate show for some breaking news tomorrow. I guess we'll see, right, Ryan? But today we're going to talk about three different topics, Ryan. We're going to talk about the college football playoff rankings that came out last night. Mm-hmm. Just give some general thoughts on it. And obviously for Notre Dame, it doesn't really matter. It mattered for them if they beat USC and potentially getting into a New Year's Six Bowl. The lost USC kind of eliminated that. I did want to just kind of go over the, the, the rankings a little bit. I mean, for me, I don't think it matters that they're behind Texas or South Carolina. South Carolina, I understand. Texas, I don't. But whatever. It doesn't matter. It'll all get figured out in bowl season. But I did want to talk about that. We're going to talk about the big news that last night that broke. And, and we have been trying to t- hint to y'all for a couple weeks now that don't necessarily listen to a lot of the Cam Hart's definitely gone stuff because we had gotten word that there was a pretty good chance he was going to, in fact, come back. And then, of course, we're going to get into some All-American conversation, maybe a little bit of draft talk, but we'll have to see how we are on time for that one, Ryan. But we're going to, so we're going to kind of do a lot of different topics today. Then, of course, at the end of the show, we will get into the mailbag and we will just we will answer some of your questions about uh just top recruiting the team draft whatever the case may be so that's what we are going to discuss today so Ryan let's just quickly go through the college football playoff rankings real fast and discuss what we saw last night i think obviously the front the, the top 4 everybody expected that and there was really no intrigue. I don't think anyone actually thought Bama or Ohio State might be ahead of USC after USC beat Notre Dame. I thought it was very interesting that Ohio State stayed at five and Alabama six, meaning most likely, depending on what happens this weekend, that Notre Dame will will want to – or not Notre Dame, excuse me – that the committee will want to have Ohio State step up and replace a team that lost if that happens. I'm also very curious to, to – I think there's an assumption that if TCU loses to Kansas State this weekend, that Ohio State's just going to jump in. 
I don't know if that's necessarily a given, depending on obviously how they lose, especially when you consider that they bumped Kansas State up to 10. Mm-hmm. So I think that helped TCU's case as far as staying in the conf- in, in there at this conversation. So, Ryan, just kind of overall thoughts on the rankings, obviously the top four, wh- where what you saw, how you think things should be. I know having Penn State at eight was I still laugh at that. <laughs> it's just like, come on, guys, what are we what are we doing here? You know, yeah. but there were some uh, very interesting rankings. Florida State being ahead of LSU, dro- they dropped LSU hard sure last did. night. They dropped them nine spots last mm-hmm. night. I didn't think they were going to drop them that far, Ryan. That was the one of the things that really stood out to me. Was like, wow, they really punished LSU last night. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They sure did. I mean, I guess it's a combination of you lose to a now 5-7 and seven Texas, A&M, Texas A&M team in the way that you did. In a with it gets a program that is just reeling <laughs> during the season, right? Just struggling so much. So that was a little bit of a surprise, I would say. I, I think that for me, Brian, it, the closer we get to the final product, obviously, I think the less that I kind of tear these rankings apart a little bit, right? Because for me, I was just like, I know what the top four is going to be, right? Like, you know what that was going to be. You know what this, the just kind of coming out of this week, what really starts to matter more than what the rest of it looks like is what the top five is. And I think that seeing an Ohio state team, it's going to be an interesting conversation because I look, I I know that there's the, the trendy pick this week is going to be Kansas state over TCU. It's going to be, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people that are already picking that upset, but for me, so you're yeah. talking about the actual game. I wasn't sure what yes. you're talking about. You're talking about just yes. Kansas State beating them. Yeah, I got you. Yes. Yeah. Sure. There's I've I've already talked to a bunch of friends that a couple of them are in the betting world, right? They bet a whole lot more than I would, for instance. And they are all taking Kansas State on the upset this week, it sounds like, at least to cover uh the spread of what it is right now. So I think that the trendy pick is TCU loses because it's been kind of a chaotic college football season, right? So let's let's end it with a little bit more chaos and see what the committee decides, because I am one of those people, and I know that we can have a great conversation about this, but I do truly believe that the committee would put Ohio State in if TCU loses just flat out, I believe. I, I really do. Think Perhaps. That. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's 
it's just again it's going back to the big brands and sure. how the you know the ratings want it to be all that type of stuff so there there wasn't a tremendous amount of surprises in this one like you said i, I think that it is a it was interesting to see how far LSU dropped. I thought that yeah. they would drop for sure a few slots, but I mean nine nine spots and one yeah. <laughs> one loss is a tremendous yeah. drop, man. Like that is they dropped even further than Oregon. Now, now not yeah. in the placement, Oregon is still behind them, but Oregon only dropped seven spots. And and so, and I mean part of it is they just got flat out destroyed. I I, I think the thing with T- Kansas State and TCU, Ryan, depends on how the outcome goes. If if Kansas State, because I think they're going to look at two factors. Number one is they're going to lose to a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. K-State's already top 10 team. And it would be a rematch. And I think those be. things have to be taken into consideration. It, if it's a back and forth 34-31 game, I could see them keeping TCU in. Because basically, if you're going to drop TCU out, you're punishing them for making it to the conference championship. You're punishing them for not getting their butts kicked in the last weekend and not making the conference championship game. You're rewarding Ohio State for getting smashed in the in, in the last game of the regular season and not making the conference championship. So I don't think it's a given, and maybe that's just me saying what I think should happen more than what I think will happen. And so uh, that's there's no doubt for me that it should not. I mean, to me – the only team that should get knocked out this weekend if they lose is USC. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. Because yeah. every other team is undefeated. You go through the unde- regular season undefeated, as long as you don't get destroyed in your conference championship game, I, you're in to me. Because I'm not right. punishing you for making the conference championship game. That's how it is for me. Mm-hmm. USC is a little bit of a different story because they have they ha- it would be their second loss. you know, and, and, and so you're still somewhat punishing them. Even then, like the only reason I would punish USC a little bit more than Ohio State for being out and USC being in is if they lose to the same team twice. Right. That would be a big red flag for me. I don't mm-hmm. think that they will. I think they're going to beat Utah this weekend. I don't think Utah's that good. I think I think that that it's hard to beat a team twice, Ryan. It it, and now that's why I think a lot of people are p- picking Kansas State to beat TCU because it's hard yeah. to beat a team twice. Now, we've seen it in the Big 12. We saw Oklahoma beat TCU twice uh, a few years ago to win a Big 12 championship. But we saw Texas beat Oklahoma in the regular season a few years back. With I think it was the year Kyler Murray was there. And then, of course, Oklahoma got payback in the Big 12 championship game. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that, how that shakes out, Ryan. But uh, just a couple other things. Looking at this list, South Carolina going from unranked to 19th makes a lot of sense. They had two really impressive victories. The last two games, like really impressive victories. I personally would not have had them over Notre Dame, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna nitpick it too much. It's not that big of a deal. Recent recency bias. Sure, sure. You know, yeah, they beat South Carolina by one, but Notre Dame blew out. I mean, Clemson by one, but Notre Dame blew out Clemson. But the argument that people will make, and I think it's a good one, is but yes, that's Notre Dame's best win. Notre Dame's best win is a Mm -hmm. 21 point home win over you know number nine Clemson. But beating Clemson on the road is South Carolina's second best win. Their mm-hmm. best win is beating Tennessee, who's ranked seventh by 20-something at home. So it's very comparable to the best Notre Dame win. Yep. And then their second best win is better than Notre Dame's second best win, which mm-hmm. makes sense. And you could, if you want to nitpick South Carolina's losses, you know, they got they had a blowout loss to Florida recently. They lost by 13 points at home to Missouri. They got blown out by Georgia and Arkansas. I'm like, well, does that really negate? the fact that Notre Dame lost to Marshall and Stanford. So like I said, I'm cool with South Carolina being there. Those are two great wins, great wins in the season. 
Texas mm-hmm. is the only one that I would nitpick, but honestly, Ryan, it, it's not even worth spending a lot of time on, to be honest with you. I was shocked Tulane didn't go up higher. That's one that shocked me. They only went up one spot. That was an impressive road win over Cincinnati last weekend. It was. They, I thought they would have leaped UCLA and, and Oregon and, and those teams. I was a little surprised by that, especially don't, you'd think they'd want to get the group of five team even higher. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what that is, Ryan, what it is to me is – I think this is kind of what you're alluding to after the top four, it's about positioning to yeah. justify certain things. Yeah. So if UCF goes out and beats Tulane, how can you justify if Tulane's 14 where they should be? Cause let's not forget Tulane has a win over the number 10 team in the country, Kansas mm-hmm. state. How can you justify taking Tulane at 14 and UCF at 22? How are you going to justify putting UCF ahead if they win the conference championship game sure. over UCF this weekend? Right, because those are the two teams to play. Correct, it's UCF and Tulane. I believe so. So I think they tried to keep Tulane close enough to UCF because I think at the end of the day they'd rather UCF and their bigger fan base make that game as opposed to Tulane. I guess that's that. what I that's what I think is the case. Plus, you've got UCF getting ready to go to the Big Twelve next year. Getting them to play a conference championship game in, in Arlington would not be a bad thing, in my opinion. No. So I think. And Brent, go ahead, Ryan. Is is there any more justification that we need that? we should not potentially expand the playoffs than Penn state being where they're at right now. I mean, what, what justification do you have for Penn state to make a playoff potentially in the future with what it, they it are goes right now? to Ryan? It goes to the fact that this committee all mm-hmm. year put way more emphasis on losses than wins. Yeah. Because when you look at Penn state, they have zero wins over top teams in the top 25, zero. That's wild. They're ranked that high. For Michigan and Ohio State, that, that simple as that. And because the Big Ten is overhyped, you know, it's like how can you have three teams in the top ten but nobody else ranked in the top twenty-five? It's because your conference sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of your top two teams, and Penn State's okay, and then there's a bunch of nothing, you know. And it's like it's like the Big Ten West. It's like nobody wanted to play Michigan or Ohio State. They were all like, I don't want to play those guys. I'm dr- <laughs> we're gonna tank this week. That then happened, but it's like that's how it looked. That's how bad they were. Like, Iowa was like, we want no part of another Big Ten beatdown, so let's let Nebraska jump on us 24 to nothing. You, you know, know, it was uh, great it was stat. Great stat I did see, though. Jeff Brom at Purdue is 2-0 and against top three teams. Three, three? Was it three and 3 and 3-0. It was either 2-0 yeah. or 3-0. and I know he's undefeated yeah. against top three teams in the country, so yeah. we'll see, man. We'll see. Yeah, he, uh, I'm not, not predicting it, but we'll They see. beat um, – well, and those were all regular season games. Yeah, he's three and zero. And I'm trying to think of of they beat Ohio State, obviously, yep. where Rondell Moore was just ridiculous right. in that game, right? Yeah. And then they they beat a they beat a top team last year. I'm trying to remember who it was. They beat a top three team. I thought last year, didn't they? Um, trying to remember was where? No, it wasn't Michigan State. Michigan State wasn't ranked high when they played them last year. I don't believe. But I'm trying to remember when those games were. Let me uh, let me just go to this real quick and find out because now that's going to bother me, Ryan. That I don't remember who it is. I do remember Ohio State, but I thought they had another one recently. They didn't have one this year, right? I don't think so. Not yeah, this I year. don't think they had a big one this year. Uh, they could have. They should have beat Penn State. They completely outplayed Penn State. Jeff Brom choked that game away. Yes, Michigan State was ranked number three last year, and Iowa was ranked number two last year. They got them both last year. That's awesome. I thought they had one last year. But, yeah, I mean, Iowa should not have been number two at that point in time. Neither should Michigan State have been number three. It, it, it just goes to the fact that they completely overrank 
the Big 12 or Big 10 and have for years, in my opinion, because the Big 10 West is, is a mess. So and that reminds me of another topic we'll get to here a little bit, Ryan. I'm going to make a statement to you, and I want you to respond to it. It's going to be about coaching hires. Okay. So n- not a lot else needs to be said about the playoff rankings. That's kind of what we saw last night. I was surprised Clemson stayed at nine, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't I don't know what the – I mean, I don't know what the justification would be for that. But, hey, it is what it is. But it was re- great uh, – Jonathan Smith, man, ended up 15th. And, I mean, what a great job he did. But a, and that team should have could have quit. They were getting That's, rolled by Oregon in the second half for a minute. Or Oregon State's a pretty young team too, which is wild about it, man. I mean, they have a freshman mm-hmm. running back. They have a sophomore quarterback starting right now. There's not a ton of seniors on that roster, which is and they've got a quarterback coming in next year that I don't think he'll play next year. But in a couple of years, when Aaron yes. Childs is eight, is it uh, Aiden Aiden, Aiden Childs? Childs. Mm-hmm. Aaron Childs is the linebacker in the 2024 class. Yep. Aiden Childs gets there. That kid can spin it, Ryan. And yes, he's he skinny right now. When he fills out his frame, he reminds me of a of a more talented version of Hendon Hooker. Just the way he his body type. He's mm-hmm. got that long, stringy type of thing. But he's got a much stronger arm than Hendon Hooker had coming out of high school. That kid can mm-hmm. really play. That was yeah. a big pickup for them. Big pickup for them. And Notre Dame tried to get him to look at him, and he was just like, nah, I'm locked into Oregon State. It ended up working out great for Notre Dame because they ended up getting a better player, in my opinion, Kenny Minchie. That's mm-hmm. a heck of a pickup for them. Oh, so that, uh, that's kind of where we were last night. North Carolina stayed in at number 23. What a bad finish to the season for them. They had yep. a really rough finish to the season. They were they were another team. They were, I think, the only other team besides Penn State that did not have any wins over the top 25, any team in yeah. the top 25. So, yeah, yeah it's not, not, not the best finish for them. No. No, it was not. It definitely was not. It's uh, yeah, r- rough finish to the season. Yep. So big, some big Notre Dame news last night, Ryan, and mm-hmm. uh, we expected this. We've been expecting this now for for a couple weeks now, mm-hmm. and that was that Notre Dame was getting back Cam Hart. Cam Hart has decided to return to Notre Dame for his fifth season. And Ryan, it is a big one. There was a lot of things that went into it. Obviously, the NFL draft projection. But there is a couple, a couple other things um, with with you when you look at this Cam Hart situation too. Is there was a lot of frustration this year about him not being targeted? Talking to a source about you know he he didn't like that he wasn't being targeted, and I was told that one of the reasons that kind of factored into him coming back was the breakout of Benjamin Morrison because mm-hmm. he's like, hey, next year teams are going to have to throw at me next year, otherwise this dude's going to have fifteen interceptions. You know what I mean? And you saw USC. We said all week, USC is not going to avoid Benjamin Morrison. They're not going to avoid Benjamin Morrison. Well, once Cam Hart and Tariq Bracey were out, they avoided Benjamin Morrison. They threw at him, I think, once the entire game. And guess what? It was incomplete because he was locked on a dude. So that's, uh, to me, that that's a great, great sign for Notre Dame. The shoulder injury that he had is not a major one. Obviously, Cam has shoulder has some shoulder injury issues. It's not a major one. He probably isn't playing the bowl game, but getting him back next year, Ryan, this was big, big news for Notre Dame. Well, I mean, and we talked about it yesterday, right, Brian? And obviously we kept it as a hypothetical yesterday of like, hey, if Cam Hart comes back, that's a pretty darn good quarterback to it that you have mm-hmm. at the top there, right? And I think that going into next season, as long as Cam comes back healthy and he's himself, that you can make an argument that that might be the best cornerback duo in college football returning. I mean, it's very possible. They're at least in the conversation. Like, you can mm-hmm. make a legitimate argument for it, right? So, 
I think it's great for all parties involved, right? Because one, Cam's a good football player, really good football player. When he's healthy, he has the potential that we have, you know, lauded over all the time this off season and during the, you know, the second half of the season, I thought he was pretty good again. Right. So mm-hmm. for the team, it's big time because he's going to be a fifth year senior. He's a kid that is going to be able to bring some of the, some of the leadership qualities to a room that's, you know, secondary wise is still going to be pretty young room for the most part, right? Next year you lose Tariq Bracey and, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Brandon Joseph conversation, right? So getting a guy back like a Cam Hart for the leadership qualities, for the play quality, as long as he's healthy, I think is big time for Notre Dame. And I also think it's a very wise, wise decision for Cam Hart. I do. And I know we'll probably get into a little bit of the draft prospects for Cam, but the injury is a very unfortunate one for him. And then he obviously had some uneven film early on in the season, Mm -hmm. right? And people are like scouts are going to go to the Ohio State game, for instance, right? Where Cam had a few struggles and they're going to kind of hyper-focus on that game. So him also being injured with some early struggles, I think that this is a very wise decision for Cam. And he has now a chance to end his career the way that he deserves, in my opinion, next year, hopefully. There's a couple of interesting things about Cam. This is going to only really be his third full season playing cornerback, too. So I think that's an, an area where, where we're going to see some improvement. And, and the, the uneven film was not just Ohio State. I mean, he had a couple right. plays. For, he got beat first play of the game against North Carolina, gave up a touchdown late on a blown coverage. There was mm-hmm. there's some struggles. And I, it, for me, what it was was Cam just the, – the hamstring injury kind of caused him to lose a little bit of – confidence in himself and he wasn't trusting his technique early I think he felt like he had to do things to overcome the fact that his his hamstring wasn't 100 once he kind of settled in and was like okay I'm gonna be okay like I just get back to trusting yourself trusting your technique we honestly hardly ever heard his name called the last seven games of the year seven eight games of the year I mean we really did and when we did it was because some team tried to throw a screen or a quick throw to his side and he blew it up Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he almost had a pick six against Syracuse. I don't remember them throwing at him other than that play. Mm-hmm. So he he really did, in my opinion, Ryan, did a really great job to me coming back from the rough start of the season. And now the problem, however, is that a lot of people are going to only remember the start because we didn't see anything from him down the stretch and just assume that he didn't have a really good year because of the start. I want to mm-hmm. I want to give you some context to the kind of season that 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 Cam Hart had, Ryan, because mm-hmm. I I think these kind of things matter because we you know you have people say oh well you know he's this or he's that and he got beat or whatever the case may be I'm gonna throw some numbers at you and, and what do we always say Pro Football Focus stinks at grades they're really good at data collection okay so we're gonna we're gonna do something here for Cam Hart but then also put into context just just how good this cornerback tandem was and and how hard teams worked to not throw at them. So I want to give you all some context. Do you remember, Ryan, what would you say the best cornerback tandem Notre Dame has had the last decade? I think it's very easily it's the 2018 group with Troy Pride Mm -hmm. and Julian Love, correct? Yep, yep. Julian Love that season was an All-American, had a great season, uh, really, really good football player. That season, Julian Love had uh, was targeted 79 times and gave up 42 completions in 13 games. He allowed 413 yards. 
in his sophomore season where he had a record, you know, Notre Dame tied Notre Dame record for pass passes defense with over 20. And he ended up having with like 23 when you passes defense, not pass breakups. And he had like 20 pass breakups and like three picks. I think it was like 23. He was targeted 83 times for 36 receptions. So he gave up 43.4% completion rate in, two, in, in as a sophomore in 2017 and then a 53.2% rate as a junior when he was an All-American. This season, Benjamin Morrison, who, by the way, we'll bring that in now, was today named a freshman All-American by Pro Football Focus, who actually did a, something that I like. They usually do things I don't like, but they have a it's a true freshman All-American list. Mm. It's only actual freshmen, not like second-year guys who are redshirt freshmen. Well, Benjamin I mean, Morrison is going to make a lot of these, Brian. That, that's a great that's a great thing too, Brian, because technically with the COVID stuff, right? You technically have a third year freshman now, which is technically yeah, yeah. Drew Pine could have been on the freshman All American teams this year by yes. eligibility, which is just how nutty the whole thing is. But to, yes, you are absolutely correct. You can have third year players that technically regret your freshman. So this year, Benjamin Morrison was targeted forty seven times and gave up nineteen completions. For 277 yards. Cam Hart this season was targeted 44 times, only gave up 22 completions for 240 yards. And if you go back and look, there's a lot of completions for that that were short throws. Uh, for example, he got a completion against him. And this is one thing I don't like about pro football focus. I would never count a pass behind the line as a completion against a cornerback. He gave up one completion against Boston College for minus two yards. So the, the play where they threw the screen to, to Zay Flowers and he came out and tackled him behind the line, they counted that as a completion against him. I can't believe he gave that up. Whatever. Crazy. I know, right? He's terrible. <laughs> but he gave up 240 yards passing. Last year in 2021, Cam Hart gave, was targeted 66 times, gave up 32 completions, but only 48.5 yards uh, completion percentage and only gave up 335 receiving yards. So 335 and 240 are the two numbers for Cam Hart. And this year, Benjamin Morrison gave up 277 on 19 completions on 47 attempts this season. Now, here's the interesting part. Let's look at 2018. That season, Julian Love's All-American season, he gave up 40. He gave up 40. What did I have it as? He gave up 42 completions on 79 attempts, 53.2 completion rate, 413 yards. Troy Pride that year, who's pretty good. It, well, Troy Pride was good from post-pit game. He mm-hmm. was not great early in the year, struggled early in the year, missed the pit game with an injury. And when he came back, he came back and was lights out. And he rocked Clemson in the, the semifinal game. Like, they tried to throw him twice. He locked him down. They said, we're not throwing at that guy anymore. But he gave up 70, 44 completions on 76 targets for 457 yards. So that's 870 yards those two guys gave up. Mm-hmm. This year, Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart gave up a combined 514, 517 total yards and held opponents well below 50% completion percentage, where Hart and Pride were around 55% completion and, all, and, and over 300 yards more, about 300 yards more than what these two kids gave up this year. Now, part there's things that pack factor into that. Notre Dame had really good safety play that year as well, mm-hmm. right? They had pretty good linebacker coverage that year as well. So teams were more willing to test them. They played a different coverage, so they would complete more hitches and quick outs against them than they did this year. But still, even with those context things, that's a big gap, difference in gap. that just shows how good those corners were 
and it shows how good Cam Hart was. Uh, you know, yes, he had some struggles, but he never gave up more than 54 yards receiving in a game. That was against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of that came on one play, the 31 yard touchdown he gave up. You know what I mean? So he had a really good year, and it's not going to get talked about because. I mean, the last five games, here's the completions he gave up. One completion for four yards, one completion for 15 yards. That was against Syracuse. Uh, two, And that was on a – yeah, that's a questionable one. Two completions for two yards against Clemson. One completion for 34 yards against Navy. That was on the, the one play cross where he got bumped into. Yeah. And then one completion for minus two yards against Boston College. So in the last five games of the year, Cam Hart gave up six completions for let's see here 34 53 yards in five games it's pretty good Ryan. it's not it's pretty good during that same stretch benjamin morrison picked off five passes so yes. i i think you're going to talk about this cornerback tandem ryan is having a chance to be very very good and then the other part is because cam hart's coming back jade mickey doesn't have to be thrust into a starting role next year on the mm-hmm. outside you can now zero in on maybe helping letting him develop more as the, in that nickel role a little right. bit next year. So it'll be very interesting to see the kind of role he's able to get. And then of course, if chance Tucker and Ryan Barnes and those guys come back, you know, w- will they battle for, you know, a rotation spot, Clarence Lewis, what do you do with him? Cause now the cam's coming back, depending on, you know, people ask about Brandon Joseph. I don't, I don't know if he's going to come back or not. Uh, he, he probably should, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of good either way at this point in time, Ryan with mm-hmm. him. If he chooses not to come back, one thing that I would look hard about hard at Ryan is moving Clarence Lewis to safety for his last year. Well, technically he, he actually has two years left because his freshman year, even though he played a ton, it was the COVID year, so he could technically come back for a fifth year. I would look long and hard because you've got you've got Mickey and Morrison, who you love as, as coaches. Cam Hart's coming back this year. I would hope that at least one or two of the of the three kids from the twenty one class come back. Plus, you have you have Christian Gray and Micah Bell coming in. I would literally like I would literally sit down with my staff and say, hey, are we going to be better moving with Clarence Lewis playing safe? Because you got to find a role for Clarence Lewis. He's a good football player. Mm-hmm. He's just not a dynamic cover guy on the edge. I would look long and hard and saying, hey, if your if your safety rotation next year is Xavier Watts of returners, Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson, Clarence Lewis, and Peyton Bowen, mm-hmm. maybe a Don Schuler, I'm yeah. feeling really good about that group. Really good about that group. And then that could also allow you to do some things with like a Ramon Henderson, maybe letting him be kind of a nickel rover a little bit more. I mean, it would give you so – Cam Hart coming back gives you so many at least discussion points that you could not have if he left for the spring. You'd have to wait for someone else to emerge before you could even consider moving Clarence Lewis somewhere else. So I think this really helps Notre Dame's secondary – it could help Notre Dame's secondary beyond just you're going to have great corners, Ryan. What say you? Well, well, I would say this too, Brian. I mean – in years past, I would say that the cornerback group going into next year has gotten so strong now at the top that in most years, if you had a Christian Gray and a Micah Bell coming in, two top 100 players, they're playing, man. No like, doubt. They're playing. I mean, Clarence Lewis played, and he was considered, what, like three-star by most people, right? In, in that and that was class. legit. I mean, yeah. we gave him a three-and-a-half-star grade, you know, top 300 yeah. to 400 type of kid, solid yeah. player, but not a guy you'd expect to come to play as a freshman, right? Exactly. Exactly. So he's – yeah, exactly. He's he's pressed because of necessity, but you now have a situation where I think Christian Gray could play early if you needed him to. But the but the nice thing about the depth that you've created is that he doesn't have to, right? If Christian Gray comes in or Micah Bell comes in and they earn valuable reps, 
that's awesome. That means that they were too good not to keep off the field, but it's not a necessity for those guys to come in and be substantial producers early on in their careers, which is great for both parties involved. And I, I really do think that when you look at this too, Brian, and I love that one of the main reasons that you spoke about, about Cam coming back, was because Benjamin had a big step up. And I think that that's the best thing about tandems, right, is that we saw in 2021 during especially the second half of the season and part of this season where teams were just kind of like, okay, I'm not throwing at five anymore, right? Like I'm not doing that. And then that's why Benjamin Morrison had the ball production that he had, right, and the five interceptions in a three-game span. But then going into next year, teams are now going to watch Benjamin Morrison and be like, well, we can't just – test him all game right like that's not going to be a smart idea of us but also there's another kid on the other side who's very talented in his own right so those guys being such a lethal combination is going to make one another better because you can't completely avoid cam hart next year right you can't completely avoid benjamin morrison next year so and this is not hyperbolic i would i mean again i'm sure there will be a lot of lists that we'll talk about during the off season and leading up to next season but just off the top of my head, just based upon players that are guaranteed to come back, can't really think of many quarterback duos that I would prefer over right. Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison right. as long as Cam is back healthy and playing to, to the standard that we know he can play to. So it's great for Notre Dame. You know, for a defensive coordinator, the ability to have two lo- lockdown, quote-unquote, cornerbacks that give you the opportunity to play a ton of man coverage gives you a lot of options up front with yeah. different – pressure situations that you want to bring, different coverage variations, a lot you can do with those two. This is my opinion, Ryan, and, and mm-hmm. I think you agree with me, but but if not, please rebut. I think the difference between this corner tandem and maybe some of the past that Notre Dame has had where they had you know, good veteran players and solid players, I think the – you know, like the Notre Dame's had some good cornerback tandems in the past. You know, I thought the – you know, in, in 2012 – you know, Kavari Russell Bennett Jackson was a good core. I mean, those both of those kids played in the NFL. They were both drafted in the NFL. Kavari was a third round pick. Uh, Bennett Jackson was a sixth round pick. Yep. You know, in 2010, you had Robert Blanton, Gary Gray, and, and Darren Walls, which was a really good cornerback tandem before Gary Gray. Gary Gray didn't kind of lose it until 2011. In 2010, that was a really good cornerback tandem. You know, the Kavari Russell Cole Luke tandem, the Kavari mm-hmm. Russell or the Cole Luke Cody Riggs tandem in 2014 was also pretty good. You know, and, and so and Cody Riggs played several years in the NFL and probably would have had a longer career if he wasn't so small. He's like five eight. Yeah. And and so you've had some good cornerback tandems. My contention is this the elite talent, like bet Troy Pride, Julian Love, just really smart football player, and Julian Love, not an elite talent. He's in the NFL now, starting. I believe he's a captain for the Giants. He's he a might good be, athlete, but he might make a Pro Bowl this right. year. He's playing good ball, right? Yeah. Great mental talent, you know. Great effort, great heart, great leadership. Um, but he's not like an elite talent, which is why he was a fourth round pick, despite all the success he had. Troy Pride, same thing. Troy Pride's a really good athlete, but wasn't didn't have elite cornerback talent and elite athleticism. Mm-hmm. He's more of a track guy, learning to play cornerback. These two kids. You have an, uh, just elite tools with Cam Hart, in my opinion. The only thing that, that hurts him is the injuries and mm-hmm. the fact that he's he's still learning the position in some degrees. Benjamin Morrison's just an elite talent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think the high-level talent of this duo is as good as we've seen in, uh, I mean, 
since I mean early nineties, potentially as long as everybody's healthy, if they're both right. healthy next year and they put in the work, right. Cause if they go out and be lazy, rest on their laurels, I'm an all American. I'm don't have to work out today. Well, sure. They're not going to be very good. I don't, mm-hmm. there's nothing about Cam Hart or Benjamin Norris that I've ever heard that makes me think that that's going to be a problem. Sure. Assuming projection goes as normal. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about this being Notre Dame's best cornerback tandem since the early nineties. Yeah, I, mean, I think it really has a chance to be that. And that's saying something because they have had some good corner duos the last. I mean, and I mean, Robert Bland was drafted in the NFL. Kavari Russell was drafted in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Darren Walls was not drafted in the NFL, but played, started multiple years in the NFL. You know, Kavari Russell was in the NFL, starting you know, drafted. Benjamin Jackson was drafted. Julian Love was drafted. Troy Pride was drafted. Because it's not like they've had bum corners the last 15, 20 years. You know what I mean? Yep. To say that is is it might come across as some as hyperbolic, but I truly believe it. I mean, it's based on their play. I think it's a different tandem, Brian, because I mean, I think Julian Love and Troy Pride are great examples, right? Like Julian Love has turned himself into a good NFL player, but I think there was some hesitation on how good of an NFL player he would be because he doesn't have those elite physical traits, right? Like he has to win off of his mind, off of his consistency, and off of the the style, you know, the the fire that he plays with, like those things make Julian Love a successful NFL player. But when you look at six foot plus 179 pound Benjamin Morrison and six, two and a half, 200 pounds Cam Hart with 32 plus inch arms verified, you look at this tandem and it's different from what you've had in the past because you've had very good college players. And like you said, a couple of players that have played in the NFL for a decent amount of time. But when you look at that group, it's been a while since Notre Dame had two guys that are the prototype NFL cornerback, right? The Julian loves of the world are more nickel types that end up playing at safety or a little bit of a thinner framed guy of a Troy pride. You have two guys that an NFL evaluator will look at and say, that's what an NFL corner looks like. An outside NFL corner looks like Cam Hart. It looks like Benjamin Morrison. It's different because you have two legitimate NFL talents on the outside at the outside corner position because the guys that you mentioned, right? I just mentioned Julian Love, who's now a converted safety. Robert Blanton was the same thing. He ended up playing safety in the NFL because he wasn't a prototype outside corner in the NFL. Both Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart, they're so talented that as long as healthy health is, is not a concern, they're never going to have to be guys that a NFL team is going to say, you know what? I think they'll have to play safety at the next level. I think they'll have to move inside. They are freak of nature athletes, which makes it intriguing next year. Because again, who do you want to throw at? You going to throw at five, or are you going to throw at the kid that had five interceptions in three games in a three game span last year, including three against Boston College? That's what right. makes it so intriguing. Because you just don't have guys that look like that at Notre Dame right. recently at corner. You don't have two of them. Well, and you're also going to talk to me, uh, you know, if you if you Xavier Watts is if he's starting next year. Let's just say hypothetically, by the yep. middle of the season, your mm-hmm. starting secondary is Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart on the outside, Jaden Mickey in the slot, yep. Xavier Watts and Peyton Bowen. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a level of athleticism that we have not seen in the secondary at Notre Dame in a long time, and they look just apart. pure gut. Exactly, they're mm-hmm. literally big time. They're not just smart, heady football players that that are, you know, like Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman were great college tandem, but they were 
really smart, instinctive. Elohio Gilman is one of the most instinctive football players I've ever seen, which is why he's playing in the NFL. Kid ran a 4-6 as a defensive back, <laughs> and he's playing in the NFL a bunch, picking off Pat Mahomes. Why? Because yeah. he's wicked smart, he's got heart, and he knows how to – he's just a football player. Yeah. He's not an elite athlete. The mm-hmm. thing about Peyton Bowen is Peyton Bowen's a football player that's also an elite athlete. <laughs> Benjamin Morrison's a football player that also, in my opinion, is a borderline elite athlete, and that's mm-hmm. the difference. You know, Xavier Watts is a real twitchy kid. So, well, you know, it, it, and he's finally going to have a full off season of one position under his belt. Like, yeah, that's the other thing is this was his first season really being a safety. He got moved in the previous year, like halfway through the year. They split him between two positions a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. He's now a safety, you know. And, and so, Ryan, the level of athleticism on the back end next year is going to look so much different even than this year. You know, Houston, Houston Griffith was a very – solid, steady, underappreciated player for Notre Dame this year. Just yeah. always where he needed to be. DJ Brown was okay, you know, good veteran and all that. But, mm-hmm. like, those guys are not elite athletes. Brandon no. Joseph is not an elite athlete. He's yeah. a, He was a good football player. But the level of athleticism that they're going to have next year with the two corners coming back, you know, that's what made the corner so good this year because Tariq mm-hmm. Racy may be small. He's an elite athlete. Yes. And that's why the corner production was so good this year because people are like, I'm not throwing on those guys. You know, and that's why they yeah. were targeted so much, so much less than past cornerback groups. And I, I was going to say, Brian, I also think in past secondaries, there was players that we've already mentioned a little bit, but there are players where an opposing offense is going to say, I'm going to try to isolate that kid. And I'm going to make mm-hmm. him – we're going to attack that kid again. Like I think of like Sean Crawford, right? Like Sean Crawford was yep. a good football player, but like Alabama knew like I'm going to throw bubbles at Sean Crawford all day and make him try to play with my, Devonta Smith in space. Stanford right? like did that to him in 2017. Right. Because but not, not because he's not a good football player, because they had 6'5 no. yeah. tight ends and he was 5'9". It's and because – It was a matchup. Right. Yeah, like you mentioned Cody Riggs, who was like 5'8". You talked about Sean Crawford that was like 5'9". Like there's been guys in the Notre Dame secondary in the past where you're just like, all right, look, there's good players here, but I'm going to take advantage of that guy. Next year, as long as Peyton Bowen ends up in the class and is who we think he is, right, and he's playing a decent amount of football, like who's that guy next year, right? Like I guess, I mean, you might convince yourself that like I'm going to take my chances with Jade Mickey in the slot just because the inexperience and sure. in the, in the up and down play a little bit, but it's not like Jade Mickey doesn't look like he belongs, right? Like athletically. And he's not going like to get better. Right. Right, exactly. Athletically, physically, he looks like he belongs. Cam Hart physically is a guy, right? Benjamin Morrison is a guy. Xavier Watts physically looks the parts. All those guys in the secondary now – the secondary for Notre Dame over the last couple of years has gotten a lot longer, a lot longer, a lot more athletic. And now it's, I mean, next year, Brian, like not, I'm not saying every player is going to play in the NFL. I'm, I'm not making that claim, but I'm saying every player looks like an NFL player on the field next year from a physical athletic perspective. They look like they belong. So good luck to opposing offense. As long as everyone stays healthy of picking yeah. who the guy is that you want to take advantage of. Cause there's not going to yeah. be a, massive weak link in the secondary next year. I think that there's going to be some, there's going to be some decisions that offenses are going to have to make next year. against the secondary. Well, and then there's some decisions you have to make as a coaching staff too. How are you going to play with the secondary? You know, are you going to use them more in coverage to let them, you know, to maybe take away quick game, force teams to throw down the field more, which last this year was sometimes could put you in a tough spot because you didn't have great range and safe. Like perfect example is, 
couple of those throws, people are like, oh, I, I can't believe Xavier Watson pick off those passes. Well, with all due respect, most of the safeties on the roster aren't getting over there, you know, to even be in a position to make that pick. You know, so I think the, that's a big part, too, is like, hey, we're going to play more press coverage. We're going to be more aggressive, te- force teams to throw deep because they're not going to give them the quick game. Well, then now you've got so such better range at safety, potentially, if Peyton Bowen's able to you know earn a rotation spot in that first year with Xavier Watts earning more playing time down the stretch. You're getting a, kids that are far rangier, which means yes. more disruption. Because the one thing that was lacking from this defense this year, one of several things lacking from the defense this year for all of the success was, it was not a super disruptive team in the pass game. No. Now, they had the interceptions from Benjamin Morrison, but that th- there weren't a ton of breakups. You know, and, and part of it was because teams just avoided the corners and yeah. the safety position. The linebackers was another position where teams would go at them a lot. I think it was Syracuse. You saw what was the game you saw UNLV? No, not UNLV. Um, trying to remember the Stanford did this. They would just mm-hmm. pick on Jack Kaiser or they'd yeah. pick on J.D. Bertrand or, or, you know, you saw USC do some things to put Maris Lufau in a, in a bind. And when teams yeah. needed a big play, they didn't throw the – I mean, they didn't throw the ball downfield in the corners. They threw the ball at the linebackers and the safeties. Well, and I think and, that I mean, kind of played a big part in what happened this year. I mean, I think it's a great point because I just think there was a lack of range from the middle of the field, right? Like you yeah. mentioned it. Houston Griffith was a solid football player, but he's not a dynamic player that's going to make a ton of rangy plays, right? DJ Brown, I would say, got a lot out of his ability, but he's just not the athlete that you need playing – from depth at safety. And then with Brandon Joseph being banged up and inconsistent, like you just didn't have a ton of range on it from the safety position. So the middle of the field, I think was a spot for Notre Dame this year that can get a whole lot better next year, just from the athleticism that you're kind of injecting into this program as well. Right. Cause here's what hurt Notre Dame this year. I'm looking at it now. JD Bertrand gave up 85.7% completion percentage for 169 yards. Uh, Ramon Henderson gave up 15 of 18 completions for 83.3%, 156 yards. Jack Kaiser, 14 of 16, 187.5 uh, completion rate for 142 yards. DJ Brown, 12 of 16 for 119 yards, 75% completion. Jaden Mickey, 12 of 15 for 243 yards. Like he's obviously got to get better there. Yeah, but here's Xavier Watts, 5 of 11 for only 66 yards, right? I mean, it was a. Uh, much lower percentage, 45.5. Houston Griffith was 5 of 10 for 73 yards. He was not targeted much. He was very steady, very solid. Uh, Prince Colley was targeted uh, three, uh, four times, gave up three receptions. So you're talking about your linebackers. Maris Lufau actually was the best of linebackers. He was targeted 14, 14 times uh, and gave up seven completions for only 35 yards. But I would argue that that – I would argue that that's, to me, not an accurate number. I don't think that's an accurate number because I I'm looking at the, the the numbers and kind of looking at some some of the game by game numbers that, that Pro Football Focus has for him, and there were some games off the top of my head that I can remember him getting beat for plays that they don't have a markdown. For for example, um, I'm looking at the let me find it here real quick. Where's the target numbers on this? On Marshall, they have him down as not being targeted once. That has to be because they just he was he blew that third down coverage late in the game so bad that they didn't think he was in coverage there. You know, so that to me that that's um that's a mistake in my view. I don't I don't think that's accurate. You know, they have him down one of two for six yards against USC. I think he blew a coverage in that game. I think he was the one that was supposed to be down the field covering the tight end on that early 31 yard gain. But so his numbers were better, but I don't think that's accurate. I think the linebacker play is going to have to get a ton better 
But now, because the corners are so good, I think you're in a position to do more with your coverage to maybe protect some of those areas. But I think another thing they need to consider is you need to consider like, okay, do we need to get more athletic as a team in other areas too? And that's what's going to make this offseason very, very interesting. Let's talk about All-American lists, Ryan. Pro Football Focus uh, had their All-American. First All-American of the season is the Pro Football Focus Award. They came out and named two Notre Dame players on their pro, on their first-team All-American squad. And then, of course, they also had the Freshman All-American, which we mentioned earlier with Benjamin Morrison on it. A true Freshman All-American Award, and Notre Dame only had one true freshman that should have been in conversation for that. Mm-hmm. Pro Football Focus is the first of the All-American honors to come out. They named Michael Mayer as their first team tight end, which is not surprising. Anyone that doesn't have Michael Mayer should no longer have an All-American list and uh, on it ever again. They should lose They should lose their privileges of having an All-American team. The other one was Joe Walt was on there. Now, looking at the numbers, the Pro Football Focus grades, I'm not advocating for them. I'm just sharing them because that's from their list. Michael Mayer had the highest grade that a Notre Dame player's ever received on wow. his list, which is really impressive. And the only person that this number two, so it beat out the the previous high was the season that Quentin Nelson had in 2017. So that shows you how good they thought Michael Mayer was this season. Joe Alt earned, and that was a he had a 92.5 grade. Quentin Nelson was 92.2 that season. Uh, Joe Alt earned a 91.7 grade. He was the number one offensive tackle in the country. That is the fifth best ever for Notre Dame. Now, ever means pro football focus, which started in 2014. Mm-hmm. But he had the, the fourth best offensive or third best offensive line grade of a Notre Dame player. He was slightly behind Mike McGlinchey in 2017. Fifth year senior version of Mike McGlinchey, number nine overall draft pick version of Mike McGlinchey. So, and then uh, the only other player, so is it's number one is uh, Michael Mayer all time. Number two is Quentin Nelson. Number three is Mike McGlinchey. Do you know who number four is, Ryan? Do you know who had the fourth best single season grade? It, you're going to think, oh, was it Kyle Hamilton? Nope. Uh, was it Jeremiah Wusu Karmoa? Nope. Ronnie mm-hmm. Stanley? Nope. Will Fuller? Nope. Tavon Coney in 2018. Wow. Had the highest defensive grade a Notre Dame player's ever had. Yeah, the grade for Jeremiah Wusu Karmoa in 19 and 20 was stupid. That's when I first started being like, these guys are idiots at Pro Football Focus because he had a grade in the 70s. That I was about year. to say, it was probably in the 70s. Yeah, there was yeah. like six guys for Clemson's defense in 2020 that had graded out higher than Jeremiah Usakoramoa. The year that he was a, I think, unanimous All-American. So it's just, and won the Buckus Awards. It's stupid. But anyway, that's where they had it, Ryan. I, th- we're going to see this a lot. We're just going to kind of quickly mention this, but we're going to see this a lot. Michael Mayer is going to make a lot of All-American lists. Yes. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of first all the time. I think the interesting one is where does Joe Walt place? Because mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a first or second team All-American with a lot of people. I don't know if he's going to be consistently a first teamer because you're going to have some other guys like Peter Skaronsky and some other players, Paris Johnson, who gets a lot of hype. You're going to get a lot of those guys that are going to be in the conversation as well. But I do, I do expect him to consistently be first or second on these all-American mm-hmm. lists. So Ryan, what are your, what are your thoughts on the, uh, I mean, obviously mayor, we, we can talk about him if you want, but I'm also yes. the more interesting one for me. Well, and he's the one I wanted to talk about because to your point there, I mean, Peter Skaronsky and Paris Johnson do have a lot of fanfare. The one good thing that he has when you're talking about making these lists is that it's not just a, 
all-American left tackle and all-American right tackle, right? Like you'll have two tackles that just play left tackle if that's the best two offensive tackles in college football in someone's opinion, right? So I think that he definitely has a chance to be a first or second teamer by pretty much anyone. The interesting part of Joe Walt, Brian, is I actually thought he was going to be a little bit underrated this year, you know? And I know he's got a lot coming for him for being, you know, Notre Dame starting left tackle for now, you know, a year and a half, you know, first full season and, you know, being six, seven and 316 pounds, whatever he is like, he has a lot going for him, obviously, but Joe Walt's play style is much more. I'm just not going to give anything up. Right. Like I'm not necessarily a guy. He's not like a guy that, you know, like Paris Johnson will have a rep once in a while where he'll just like completely bully a dude in the run game and just plan him on his backside. Right. Like he has a little bit more of the flashy plays, but I think that Joe Walt has just been such a just – he's just a negator, man. Like all season, it's just like I, I really – it's hard to remember reps in the past game where he lost reps this year. Like it's very hard to find those reps where you're like, oh, Joe Walt got blew up on that play. Like it just doesn't happen. He's just such a consistent, good football player in everything that he does. So I feel like, you know, the PFF grades would would – value a player like him because I guarantee he didn't give up too many pressures guarantee he didn't give up too many sacks probably didn't have many missed assignments because he's just a player that you just count on from a snap to snap basis and I will say this though I'm happy that Michael Mayer made first team in this situation because I do think that there is going to be some people that are going to try to just put Brock Bowers over him and that's just going to be the conversation that people have they're going to say it's Brock Bowers Brock Bowers Brock Bowers because he's on the number one team and everyone gets super excited about him for good reason. He's a talented football player. But I think when you just compare the two players and look at who's the more impactful football player and who's the better all around football player right now, especially with what Michael Mayer was able to do later in the season as a run blocker, it's, you know, just another trophy that you put on the mantle for Michael Mayer, who I, again, I feel like we don't always appreciate enough when guys are playing because it's, you know, usually hindsight brings these things out but Michael Mayer is one of the best football players I've ever seen play at Notre Dame he's one of the best football players to ever play at Notre Dame so it's awesome that he gets this first in what is going to be many awards many accolades and he deserves every one of them obviously yeah well, I want to respond to something that was said and it I get where he's coming from Irish Irish excuse me Irish blooded said I think Mayer and Bowers Brock Bowers from Georgia are just different kinds of tight ends Bowers is more of a pure passing tight end and that is why he gets the headlines he does Mayer does run block and ground game better I get you're coming from but I just want to give you a couple numbers here <laughs> because here's the pass game numbers this season Michael Mayer as a all-around tight end, and he's right. Michael Mayer is a significant – even when Michael Mayer wasn't blocking well early, he was still a better blocker than Brock Bowers. Brock but Bowers the, is a the, slot, slot yes, by the end of the season, Michael Mayer was blocking very well. But Michael Mayer led all tight ends, all tight ends nationally, in receptions and touchdown receptions. And he was number two behind Dalton Kincaid in receiving yards. And the only reason number two is because Kincaid had that monster game against USC. So for being a, you know, let's just compare the numbers. Michael Mayer, 67 catches. Brock Bowers had 46. Michael Mayer had 809 yards. Brock Bowers had 645. Michael Mayer had nine touchdowns. Brock Bowers had five. Now, what Georgia fans will say is, well, that's just because he had to split snaps with the other tight end, Darnell Washington. Okay, fine, whatever. If anything that helps should help Brock Bowers getting more production because he has better supporting cast 
than does Michael Mayer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, you, you got to look at that, too. There's really no way you can spin that. And Georgia threw almost 100 more passes this year than Notre Dame did. They threw 401 passes this year. Uh, Notre Dame threw 304. So uh, he had such a higher volume of those throws, had less experienced quarterback thrown to him, and didn't have the support around him to take the pressure off that, that Brock Bowers had. So with all due respect to Brock Bowers, who I think is a good football player, there is no debate about who the best tight end in college football is this year. And you can debate, well, who will be the better pro? I don't care. It's an all-American list. It doesn't have anything to do with the NFL. There yeah. was there, Michael Mayer is not only the best tight end in the country this year. There isn't a there isn't a close second. There there isn't a conversation yet. And if he doesn't win the Mackey Award, then I'll never ever discuss the Mackey Award again because it's become irrelevant. You know, it's very clearly the best tight end in college football this year, and it's not even close. Not even close. So that's my thought. So I guess Ryan agrees. So well, Ryan, I, I'll I, ask, I, I do agree. I'm just, I'm just setting myself up though, for the media side of things to give Brock Bowers the Mackey yeah. award though. I'm setting it's okay. Up and now. I'm setting up now that I'm going to go nuts when that happens. I, I, I agree with you so, for, for me. Yeah. I mean, the bias aside, you, the numbers yeah. speak for themselves. The all right. around play speaks for itself. I agree with you. It's just like I, last year. You could have made that case last mm-hmm. year. You could have made that case. That you know that that maybe Brock Bowers last year should have been over him because last year Brock Bowers in some areas had better production. Last year Michael mm-hmm. Mayer had more catches, seventy-one to fifty-six, but Michael but but Michael Mayer had eight hundred and forty yards. Brock Bowers had eight hundred and eighty-two. Now again, he did that in fifteen games. Brock Bauer, Michael Mayer did his in a, in twelve, but he had thirteen touchdowns. This is the big one. He had thirteen touchdowns last year to Mayer seven. Yeah. That that's where you can say okay or right, whatever. I understand. And then you have like Trey McBride who put up big numbers at that level. Michael Mayer led all tight ends and catches and touchdown receptions this year. There's, there's no other way around that. There's no spin to that. You know what I mean? And so it's just, it's very clear. He should have won it last year. He's the best tight end in college football last year, but there's at least a discussion to be had last year with, you know, with, with Trey McBride who put up big numbers. You had uh, Isaiah likely had some really good numbers. Brock Bowers had really good numbers. I mean, so mm-hmm. you could have a conversation last year. I mean, Trey McBride last year had 90 catches for 1,121 yards. He had the craziest stat line I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> 90 well. catches, over 1,100 yards, one touchdown. <laughs> one touchdown. It's the craziest mm. thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, how does that guy not – 90 catches not get in the end zone a little bit more? Uh, you know, then you had Isaiah Likely had 59 catches for 912 yards and 12 touchdowns, and then Mayer was next in catches – you know, and then you had Brock Bowers had his production. You had Charlie Kohler last year. Like there, there was at least a conversation to be had last year. There is no conversation this year. It was None. it was a much better tight end landscape in college football last yeah. year. It would seem, huh? Much better. Yeah. Well, and you had some of the smaller school guys that were really good to me. Sure. So yeah. yes, and somebody just said Ken Cade is equal to Michael Mayer. No, he's not. <laughs> in, in terms of what? Are we talking about production? No idea. I, I don't. But he's not in not. terms of production. Michael Mayer had him beaten two different categories. Right. So yes, and he's definitely not the impact player that Michael Mayer is. That's uh, a good football to, player, no doubt about to it. But... Strongly disagree with that comment. Strong, <laughs> and it, and saying that doesn't mean that I think he sucks. But with all due respect, he's not the he's not the player Michael Mayer is. He's just, he's just not. So Ryan, it, it, I don't think you're going to see a lot of or any other Notre Dame players on All American lists. I don't think anybody else played it at all. I mean, you may see some freshman All American list that put Blake Fisher on it. Sure, because he sure. And, and honestly should. I mean, I, I think 
some of the some of the guys that I've I've seen, you know, like at the midseason freshman All American list, there were some that didn't have Michael Mayer. Or, or I mean, brought, uh, Blake Fisher. I'd say I'd probably have Blake Fisher over some of those guys. Mm-hmm. He'd be the only other one that I would consider really in any potential all and that's a freshman all-american list i don't i don't think there's any other because like none of notre dame's running backs are freshmen aldrick estimate played 12 games last year because he played a lot of special teams logan Diggs played he he's not a red he wasn't a red shirt this year mm-hmm. uh, we talked about joe Walt. he he wasn't a red shirt freshman this year so he couldn't be on freshman all-american lists mm-hmm. um so uh i don't see anybody else really being in that con- being deserving of being in that conversation ryan i i I, that's just me. I mean, is there anybody that you can even make a compelling case for? I, I really just don't no. think so. Right. Like, it's just not no. like you said, Blake Fisher as a, you know, technical redshirt freshman. If you want to make the conversation about freshman all America, I'm fine with that. But right. I mean, yeah, there's nobody that I, I like. I'm just trying like in my mind to kind of have a compelling argument yeah. for someone. And I just don't think the one's there right now. I mean, some people yeah. would say Foskey, but like, I don't think Foskey played to that level this year. So it's just Foskey's production was good, Ryan. But yeah. to your point, his play he was a more dominant player last year with less production than he was this year, in my opinion. Yep. yep. So I agree. um now I think he played better down the stretch and he had some I would argue that two of his three best career games were this mm-hmm. season. That's fair. And what he has- I think Go ahead. Ryan. He's in like he's in like the top five, I think, in sacks right nationally this year. So I mean, he's got some yeah. production. But to your right. point, and I he just, had more I, tackles for loss this year than he had last year. Sure. Yeah. So, but again, there's if it's based on numbers, then he'll have a chance. I mean, he's tied for fourth nationally in in uh, in sacks. You know, you the Thule kid from USC's got twelve and a half. Jose Ramirez from Eastern Michigan has twelve. Thomas Incum has eleven and a half, and then Foskey is tied with Nate Herbig at eleven. And then Will mm-hmm. Anderson only had 10 this year. Mm-hmm. So you you could if it's about production, then there's a chance Isaiah could be on there. Sure. But I'm just looking at it by I can't make that case because his overall play wasn't I, as good. I think there's a or couple wasn't lists and warrant it. There's a couple lists that have like third team and honorable mention, don't they? Like, so maybe, maybe he can make if, some of those. Yeah, yeah. He can make those. If if you start dwindling yeah. it down a little bit, maybe. But I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. second. I think you could get, make a case for because there's not a ton of great edge players this year, Ryan. I mean, it's it's no. not like last year where you had like two All Americans on Michigan's defense alone. You know, mm-hmm. Georgia had kids. It, it, Will Anderson was a monster. Like it, that could be a thing too that factors into it. But that that's the only person that you could make a make an argument for none of the other linemen are were that way the running backs weren't the receivers none of the dvs other than more i mean i i think you can make a case that morrison needs to be on the all-american in the all-american conversation for like third team type of guy he was that good in my opinion just pure all-american the full all-american yes not like freshman all-american i mean it's a no-brainer freshman all-american i mean he was good all year and it started against ohio state that's the thing is like Mm -hmm. he didn't just like break out in the second half of the year he made his presence felt game one because mm-hmm. they tried to go at him a little bit last year. And he, I mean, against Ohio State, and he locked them down. I mean, they could not complete balls on him. So, well, uh, he, go ahead, right? Did, did, didn't you have a, uh, you had a reputable source that kind of said that he wasn't very good in coverage, though, right? In the midseason. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that was more of what pro football focus had said because his yeah. grades on pro football focus were really low, really low. Like they gave him a 62.8 grade against Ohio State. His coverage grading against Ohio State was 64, which is below average. 
Yes. He was one. He gave up one catch on three t- targets for twelve yards and had a breakup. Like I don't know if you watched that game. He was really good that game. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck they're doing. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought he was very good all season. I, yep. To me, I've watched a lot of football this year. I can't definitely say there's been five or six more corners better than him definitively. Yeah, I, I, there's I, a conversation I, to have some guys, but he's at least in the conversation for me. I was going to say, like, I think that it's been kind of a down year from the cornerback perspective, too. I mean, because, like, Clark Phillips has been fantastic all year. Yes. Like, he's a, he's a no-brain first-team All-American, in my opinion. But, like, the guys that you thought were going to take massive steps, like some people thought Eli Ricks was going to have a great year for Alabama. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Kaylee Ringo, I think, was good this year for Georgia, but, like, I don't think he had a great season either. So there's just I, – I, I don't think that a lot of guys really stepped up to be that guy that they people thought they could be in the preseason a ton. I mean, mm-hmm. Cam Smith from South Carolina is a good player. Was he great this year? I'm, I'm not really sure, you know? Like, I, I just don't know if there's a ton of guys that really stepped to the forefront and had those type of seasons outside of Clark Phillips, in my opinion. Yep. Agree. Agree. Makes you excited to be having this conversation about that position, particular position group. So no other all Americans, Ryan. So that's obviously we won't, we'll have, we'll, ha- we'll, we'll continue to report when the guys get named all Americans and we'll, we'll continue to talk about the brilliance of that is Michael Mayer, but I am very curious to see how it's going to play out with Joe Walt. I really, yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm curious to kind of see a little bit if anybody's willing to go the full, the full way with Benjamin Morrison and start looking at him beyond the others. You know he, what I mean? should de- he should definitely be a preseason for yeah. next year, though, right? Like a preseason All-American yeah. list. Yeah, yep. thanks. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. It's funny. Someone This this guy's really doubling down on uh, Dal- Dalton Kincaid being better than Michael Mayer. Oh, and the no. only argument is stats. Number one, he has better stats than Michael Mayer in one area. That's reset- yards. Mayer's better in two. And, again, looking at it from yards is a really silly way of looking at it because he has a couple big games. There is not the consistent production all no. season. Number three, he plays in a crap league, right? And, and he played against what was the only good defense they played this year, would you say? Probably Oregon State. He had three catches for 17 yards. So yeah. that that he had two catches for 29 yards against Florida. That really impressive seven-catch for 107-yard <laughs> performance against Southern Utah, I'm sure, really blows people away. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, right. It's, it's so funny, man, because, like, okay – Michael Mayer has better stats in more more areas than Dalton Kincaid. And then also, there has to be something where, like, hey, if there's a close conversation, who would I rather play against, Michael right. Mayer or Dalton Kincaid? Exactly. And that's where the conversation exactly. ends, in my opinion. You know? Exactly. So, and that's exactly. no shot at Dalton Kincaid. I think he's a very good football player. Top yeah, 150 really in the draft season. as well. He's a good yeah. player. Good player, yeah. no doubt. No there's doubt. a huge difference. Huge difference between those yes. two guys. So yeah, it's um, it's funny the things people get upset about, you know. Now, now the okay, now we're now I've it's been the the guy said the Pac-12 is the second best conference and said we're biased. <laughs> okay, peace out. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've heard. The Pac-12 is the second best conference in college football this year. Okay, did you watch the Pac-12 out of conference? I'm just curious if you saw that or not. I'm just anyway. Um. <laughs> That was funny. That was, I needed that. I needed that, that good laugh today. So Ryan, that's going to do it for today. We're going to move that. We were going to have a little draft conversation. We're going to do that tomorrow. Uh, I think we've kind of had some good conversation today. Um, yep. 
we're going to do mailbag next. I think that's going to be a good, a good time to go to the mailbag next. That'll be, that'll be some, some fun there, but let's, uh, so if you have some questions, get those in now we've starred some of those, um, that we'll get to here in a second, but get some more in. So if you want to, if you want to have, um, uh, some questions answered during the Q and a, we'll talk recruiting, we'll talk team, whatever the case you, whatever you guys want to talk about, we'll talk about here for a little bit, but before we go, please do us a favor. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, and share this podcast. We would also love it if you join the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We obviously, you know, if you're on there, you would have had a pretty good idea that Cam Hart was going to come back. You know that there's some big news we're expecting over the next week from recruiting a couple times. Perhaps we shall see. We have a couple of those dancing gifs still out there, Ryan. Gifs, gifs, whatever. Um, so a lot going on. We had a little bit of an Intel piece on the board today that has people losing their ever loving minds uh, <laughs> on the message board right now. So definitely the place to be here in the off season. That's board. And I gave some thoughts on the portal quarterback situation on the board yesterday as well. So we have a lot going on. You're definitely going to sign up. It's four ninety nine for per month or forty nine ninety nine for the year. You're definitely going to want to sign up for that. And it's not a special rate that goes up next year. That's just the rate. So you definitely want to check that out. And of course, subscribe to the podcast, CFB Nation. Definitely check that out. You get you get I you get the Lucky Lefty podcast, you get the CFB All America show, you get all that good stuff on it. It is definitely a place to be. Mealtime inspiration. It's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.